0: Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. A Second Home For Filipino Americans, fraternal organizations like the Masons have played an important historic role in forging connections. Now, a new generation is making its mark on the fraternity. By James Sobrero for Saturnino Carriaga, this is the fun part. It's late spring, and he and 32 other masons in Riverside County are in the final stages of filing their intent to form a new Masonic lodge, to be named for the National Hero of the Philippines, Jose Rizal. We're shooting for June 19th, Rizal's birthday, says Carriaga, a Menifee-based Navy veteran, restaurant owner, and member of Hemet San Jacinto No. 338 and Most Worshipful Manuel Luis queson No. 874. There's still lots to do. As the lodge prepares to receive its dispensation date, Cariaga, who goes by J.P., still needs to secure the group a permanent home, either at the Menifee Lodge or at the nearby Masonic Hall in Marietta, and finalize the membership roster. Then there are the fun little details to work out, like a new lodge logo that can be embroidered into a custom-made Barang Tagalo or Filipino dress shirt. But this is the time to think big, to imagine what a brand new lodge will look, feel, and act like especially one that's consciously incorporating elements of Filipino culture. We want to be active, vibrant, he says. One thing's for sure, he says, definitely we're going to have a big party. He isn't the only one thinking along those lines. 90 miles west in Gardena, Norman Tondares is the charter master of another newly formed and expressly Filipino-inspired lodge, Andre Bonifacio under dispensation. The demand for masonry is growing, especially among Filipinos, he says. For Tondares, also a member of Pacific Rim No. 567, Bonifacio under dispensation is an opportunity to forge a new identity. Like Rizal, Bonifacio is an important Philippine independence figure. His name evokes a spirit of courage, freedom of thought, and patriotism. Tondares says it evokes struggle and perseverance reminiscent of the risks that we and our parents took in coming to California. The excitement surrounding the new lodges is palpable and indicative of a growing Pinoy influence in the fraternity. Both lodges have almost entirely Filipino-American membership and add to the sizable Filipino presence in California masonry. Today, Filipino-Americans are the largest non-white ethnic group in California masonry and represent the state's fraternity's fastest-growing demographic. While Asian-Americans account for about 10 percent of overall membership, that share, and particularly Filipinos, is much higher among new members. Over the past 10 years, more than 14% of applicants to California lodges were born in the Philippines. As their numbers have grown, Filipino-Americans' contributions to the craft have increasingly reverberated through a commitment to the ritual, the introduction of cultural celebrations to lodge life, and an influx of new leaders. Camaraderie, friendship, brotherly love, says Thomas Chavez, explaining the growth. Chavez, who belongs to several lodges, including Crocker No. 212, one of the approximately 20 California lodges with majority Filipino memberships, was born in Manila and immigrated to the Bay Area at 21, eventually settling in American Canyon. Chavez, is fellow member at American Canyon No. 875, past Grand Master M. David Perry, has seen these traits up close. There's a real bond there, Perry says. In 2015, he became the first sitting California Grand Master to make an official visit to the Philippines. Our Filipino brothers are an integral part of our fraternity and I'm proud of the diversity we have in California Freemasonry. The result of that is a revitalization in many lodges. There's new blood coming in, especially among the younger generation, says Mike Taguolao, a past master of San Leandro No. 113 and a district inspector who was born in Manila. San Leandro is typical of lodges where the Filipino influence has been strongest. As new members join, they tend to invite their social circles to lodge events, and that brings more candidates into the fold. Over time, the lodge's membership evolved. Tagulao estimates that the lodge is now 80% Filipino. We do events nearly every month, festivals, promotions, he says. With each, the lodge's presence in the Filipino community grows. Says Thomas, who also belongs to San Francisco No. 120 and California No. 1, Filipino candidates come to the parties, they see the lodge and say, how can I join? It's a virtuous cycle powered by friendship and cultural bonds, and the connection runs even deeper than that. A revolutionary history. Ask almost any Filipino-American Mason about the fraternity's cultural appeal and the conversation inevitably turns to Rizal. For many, he exemplifies the interrelatedness of Freemasonry and national pride. Many of the leading figures of the Filipino fight for independence were Freemasons. In fact, Masonic Lodges provided much of the infrastructure and networking that helped power the anti-colonial movement. As a result, Masonry has been strongly identified with Filipino nationalism for more than a century. Both on the islands and increasingly within immigrant enclaves, Masonry played a big role among the Filipino revolutionaries, especially in fighting the Spanish friars, says the Reverend Bayani Deprarico, a member of Mission Lodge No. 169 in San Francisco, and Carquina's number 858. Rico is a former grand chaplain of California and the rector of Ascension Episcopal Church in Vallejo. A great admirer of Filipino history, he was inspired to join the fraternity in large part because of its association with those revolutionary figures. Chief among them is Dr. Jose Rizal, the martyred Philippine national hero. Rizal, a highly influential writer who advocated for the expanded rights of Filipinos under Spanish colonial rule, first became a Mason in the 1880s while studying in London. He later moved to Spain and joined the movement of anti-colonialist Filipinos there, affiliating with the influential Logia Solidaridad No. 53, a Masonic lodge in Madrid that published a nationalist newspaper read widely in Manila. In 1890, Rizal and Marcelo Hilario del Pilar Leaders of the reform movement in Spain were granted authority by the Gran Oriente Espanol to establish a new lodge in the Philippines for native born Filipinos. Rizal viewed Masonry as the universal protest against the ambition of tyrants and the supreme manifestation of democracy. Rizal would eventually publish two major novels that are credited with inspiring the Philippine independence fight. By that time, Masonry already had roots on the islands. The first Masonic Lodge in the Philippines was formed in 1762. When the British temporarily occupied Manila and formed a short-lived military lodge. Other expat lodges briefly sprouted up and disbanded, virtually all of them founded by and open exclusively to Europeans and whites. These were connected to Grand Lodges in Britain, France, Spain, various U.S. states, and Scotland. In 1892, Rizal's newly formed Logia Niliad No. 144 was established in Manila, from which a wide network of Filipino lodges chartered by the Grand Orient Español were born. It was in those lodges, driven underground by the colonial government, that many of the most celebrated revolutionary figures were raised as Masons. Chief among them was Bonifacio, a member of Taliba Lodge No. 165, and the founder of the Catapunan, the famous secret organization that in 1896 became part of the Philippine Revolutionary Army. Clearly inspired by Freemasonry, Bonifacios Catapunan borrowed heavily from the craft, adopting Masonic symbols, rituals, and organizational structures to carry out its armed revolt. Masonry, or more accurately Filipino Masons, were the pioneers of the establishment of democracy in this country, wrote Manuel Camus, an important Filipino Mason, judge, and independence figure, in 1938. And for this, many of them lost their comfort, their freedom, and their very lives. In 1901, after the Spanish-American War and during the U.S. occupation of the islands, a new Manila Lodge No. 342 was constituted by the Grand Lodge of California. Two more lodges, Cabot No. 350 and Corregidor number 386 soon followed, and in 1912, the three lodges were granted permission to form a new Grand Lodge of the Philippines, which would work the California ritual in English. Harry Eugene Stafford was the first Grand Master. The early leadership of these lodges was largely Anglo-American, but membership was open to all ethnicities and nationalities. A 1936 report counted 2,711 Filipinos in the fraternity, working alongside 1,948 Americans and 513 Chinese. In 1918, Manuel Quezon became its first Filipino-born Grand Master. Quezon, a former officer in the Philippine Revolutionary Army, is generally acknowledged as the most important political figure in the Philippines. As President of the Senate, he would negotiate for a peaceful transition toward Philippine independence from the United States, and in 1935, he was elected the first President of the Philippine Commonwealth, a transitional state before full independence was established. As Grand Master, he helped unite many California and Spanish chartered lodges under the umbrella of the Grand Lodge of the Philippines. Despite that connection between San Francisco and Manila, The relationship between California Lodges and Filipino-American Masons hasn't always been harmonious. Many immigrants from the islands formed lodges here connected to Spanish-backed lodges that birthed the Filipino Revolutionary Movement, which were not recognized by the Grand Lodge of California. A 1941 Grand Lodge of California committee reported that members of those lodges were of a much lower grade than those of recognized lodges and not even acceptable Masonic timber. While California's Blue Lodges were never formally closed to Filipinos on the basis of race, the fact is that very few Filipinos were admitted prior to 1960 when the first all-Filipino Lodge, Tila Pass No. 797, was chartered in Los Angeles. Even then, friction continued. During the 1980s and 90s, as many urban lodges experienced precipitous membership declines, Filipino Americans began entering the fraternity in greater numbers. The result in some cases was a culture clash, In many cases, the rise of Filipino membership had a salutary effect on Freemasonry, and lodges were revived and revitalized by this importation of new blood, wrote past Grand Master John L. Cooper III in a 2010 article in the journal, Proceedings of the Policy Studies Organization. Unfortunately, there were also some less desirable side effects caused in some cases by cultural differences. One such issue was the rise of a group called the Grand and Glorious Order of the Knights of the Creeping Serpent. As the snakes as they were known conferred their own masonic degree without permission from grand lodge they were banned and officers were asked to renounce membership in the order in 2009 the group was reformed as a strictly social club with no degree conferrals honoring a legacy in addition to Rosal and bonifacio many other california's lodges names but pay homage to the philippines they include today's consolidated atwater larchmont tila pass number 614 the latter so named for the 1899 Battle of Tila Pass, in which outnumbered Filipino soldiers mounted a spirited but doomed defense against American forces. There's also General Douglas MacArthur Number 853, chartered in Sacramento in 2010, named for the commander of the U.S. Armed Forces of the Far East during World War II, who famously fulfilled the promise he'd made in his I Shall Return speech by successfully landing U.S. troops in Japanese occupied late in 1944. He was made a mason at site by Philippine Grand Master Samuel Hawthorne and affiliated with Manila No. 1. Then there's San Diego's more forceful Manuel Luce- Quezon No. 874, chartered in 2019 and named for the first Philippine President and Grand Master. For many members, the historical interrelatedness of Masonry and Filipino history is understood across generations. Charles P. Cross, the Assistant Grand Lecturer for Division 6, is a member of Metropolitan No. 352, which is nearly 90% Filipino. Cross arrived in the United States from the Philippines in 1993 by way of Pohnpei in the Federated States of Micronesia, and now works as a senior accounting manager for the Scottish Rite. His father served in the U.S. military during World War II and participated in the Bataan Death March. Joining the fraternity gave him a way to connect with his family. When Filipinos immigrated to the U.S., they realized their parents and uncles were also Masons, Cross says, They joined so they could emulate them. The generation of Filipino immigrants who arrived in California in the early 20th century came as U.S. nationals who owed all the responsibilities of citizenship but owned very few of its rights. Fraternal and community organizations played a crucial civic role within Filipino American communities, especially in towns like Stockton, which had the largest Filipino community in the United States. Fraternal groups like the Legionarios del Trabajo and the Caballeros de Dimasalang, both quasi-Masonic in nature, were bedrocks of financial, cultural, and social support for Filipino communities not only in the Central Valley, but also in the Bay Area and Los Angeles. They provided foods, jobs, and housing, and functioned as social and cultural centers. Marino Barbano, longtime chaplain of Morningstar No. 19 in Stockton, has witnessed the transformation of the Filipino-American community firsthand. Brebano, now 85, joined the lodge in 1972 and recalls with fondness the little manila that once flourished in downtown Stockton. He remembers many of the first Filipino members of the lodge, men like Torabillo Rosal, a World War II veteran with the 1st Filipino Regiment, who was featured in the PBS documentary, An Untold Triumph. Oscar Gonzalez III, a master mason with Martinez, number 41, is also connected to the pioneer generation of Filipinos who came to America in the 1900s, his grandfather, Oscar Gonzalez, arrived from Aklan Province in the Visayan Islands. His membership in Freemasonry really helped him survive in America, says Gonzales, who cared for his grandfather in old age and later joined him in the fraternity. While in college, the younger Gonzales founded a statewide Filipino-American fraternity, Chi Ro Omicron, but Freemasonry remains the foundation of his civic life. It's important to get Filipinos into mainstream organizations and to make good men better men, he says. For others, like Tony Samara, the Assistant Grand Lecturer for Division Three, the familial connection to Freemasonry has come as a welcome surprise. In 1996, while working as a manager for an American airline in California, he approached Sublime Benicia No. 5. While he was petitioning, he mentioned the fraternity to his parents and was shocked to learn that many of his family back home were Masons too. Says Emmanuel Dial, master of Torrance University No. 394, who immigrated to the United States from the Philippines at age four, there is a strong family connection for Filipinos. It really is a family environment. Celebration of spirit. Today's Filipino inspired lodges have infused California masonry with more than just fresh blood. They have helped birth a unique Filipino American lodge culture. That can be clearly seen in the blowout fiestas that many lodges are known for. Among the best is the Filipino Independence Day party held each June at Columbia Brotherhood No. 370, where Lodge members and their families celebrate with traditional food, dances like the tinikling and habanera, and a band of rondala guitar players. There's also the boisterous Interlodge party Sir Francis Drake No. 376 hosts the night before annual communication, an event that often draws visitors from the Grand Lodge of the Philippines. And there's the Filipinana Celebration hosted each June by members of Anacapa No. 710, a lodge comprising many current and retired Filipino-American Navy men stationed at Port Wainimi and Point Magoo. It can be seen in smaller ways, too, like the elaborate barong garments worn for formal events and embroidered with Masonic flourishes. And it can be seen in festive interjurisdictional events like MGM and the Philippine Masonic Association of America's annual meetings, For all the cultural pride displayed in these lodges, there's a distinctly Filipino-American brand of masonry practiced in California. Many members, particularly those born in the United States, are astonished at the cultural cachet and special privileges afforded to masons on the islands. It's not uncommon for an American mason to be greeted at the airport in Manila by junior members of a nearby lodge, for instance, and whisked through customs. The prestige of masonry in the Philippines is really big, says Albert Qua. Lodge Master of San Francisco No. 120, who is Chinese-Filipino and immigrated to the United States at 19. To James Bonin, a Past Master of Francis Drake No. 276 and Junior Warden of Mission No. 169, the differences in character are underscored by a shared set of principles connecting Masons around the world and through time. Every lodge has a slightly different culture, even here, says Bonin, who left Bacolod City for the U.S. in 1999. So when you mix the Filipino culture with the American lodges, it gives us a different flavor, but it's all Freemasonry. That's a sentiment shared by many Filipino-American members. When you join Masonry, you can feel you're at home right away, says Wilfredo Dumayap, Secretary for Anacapa Number 710. He invokes the Tagalog term matulunging, or helpfulness. That's what hospitality is all about. It becomes your second home, your natural environment. Tagalao, the inspector for District 305 and past master of San Leandro No. 113, puts it succinctly and eloquently. We just genuinely care for each other, he says. Written by James Sobredo. James Sobredo, Ph.D., is a professor emeritus of ethnic studies at Sacramento State University, where he has specialized in Filipino-American history. He is also a journalist and documentary photographer. Cases of the Fraternity. Three generations of Filipino-American members bringing Masonry to life. Filipino-Americans are hardly a monolith. Today's Pinoy Masons come from a wide range of backgrounds and professions. One thing binds them together, however, a deep appreciation for lessons of Masonry. And this article is called Trust Fall, A Southern California Mason Takes the Biggest Leap of Faith by Ian A. Stewart. The people who know Rio Santanil. Best know him as a practical, rational, lowercase c conservative. A father of three and a former risk management professional for Herbalife, and a past elected recorder for the Almalika Shriners, Santinel has a reputation for stability and trustworthiness that extends throughout Southern California, largely thanks to his role as past president of the Los Angeles chapter of the Masonic Service Bureau. Or at least that's how people used to know him, before he started flinging himself out of airplanes. While others spent their year in lockdown trading sourdough starter or racking up miles on the peloton, the usually reserved Santinel was compelled by an urge for action. And so, in September, he resolved to fulfill a lifetime goal and go skydiving. And then he did it again, and again, and again. Six months after that 1st bucketless jump, Santinel has notched more than 55 skydives, enough to earn him a Class B license, with ambitions for more in the works. Frequently, he'll do as many as five jumps in a single afternoon. I know it sounds weird, Santanil says. People are like, what the hell, Rio? Are you having a midlife crisis? Hardly. Instead, Santanil describes his new obsession as a sort of spiritual awakening. It's a surreal experience, he says. Looking at the Earth from that view is like, oh my god, it's beautiful. You can see the curvature of the Earth from that height. While others may consider his new hobby a marked departure for such a button-down sort, Santanil points out that for as frightening as jumping out of an airplane can seem, statistically it's less risky than, say, riding a motorcycle. You have to say, okay, I trust my instructor, he has family and loved ones too, Santanil says. In that way, Santinell sees a parallel between skydiving and Freemasonry. It's the same premise, he says. You have a community that supports you and guides you. You have people looking out for you. Within Freemasonry, Santanil says, that kind of support has helped him grow both personally and professionally. Born in the city of Lungapau in the Philippines, he immigrated at age 9 with his family to Carson, where he's lived ever since. Years later, a work acquaintance suggested he visit Torrance University No. 394, and he was intrigued. His father and grandfather had been both Masons in the Philippines, though neither spoke much about the affiliation. In early 1999, Santanil applied, and by July of that year, he'd been raised as a Master Mason. Within a few years, he'd moved through each elected office, becoming Lodge Master in 2006 and again in 2009. When I first joined, I was scared to speak in front of groups, even small groups, he says, but he found himself growing more confident in the Lodge setting. What I've really enjoyed is the personal development, the camaraderie within the fraternity really resonated with me. So he dove into the craft. In addition to Torrance University Lodge, he joined Metropolitan No. 352, was a charter member for Oasis Number no. 854, and became highly active in the Appendant Bodies. His list of Masonic titles is more than two pages long. Within each of these groups, Sentinel says he's been moved by the bonds of friendship, generosity, and trust that exist between members, traits he's also encountered in the close-knit community of skydivers. Still, all the support in the world can only get you to the edge of the platform. You still have to take the plunge. It's hard to comprehend unless you do it, he says. The first time, it's sensory overload. Words alone can't really explain what you feel when you jump out. The mind shift he's experienced through skydiving has forced Santinil to update his bucket list. Now, he says, he's eager to jump at some of the world's most iconic locations, including, someday, over the pyramids in Egypt. One thing he knows not to do is bring his family along for the ride. My wife is a nurse, Santinil offers with a chuckle. If you think I'm conservative, my wife is next level, and my kids, they just think, you're crazy, Dad. The Shrine at Froelich and Chetta's San Francisco Home: A Testament to an Artful Life by Kelsey Landon. Froelich and Chetta doesn't do anything half-heartedly, whether it's his work, his art, or his connection to Freemasonry. He throws himself headlong into his passions. One look around his living room will tell you that. Anchetta's Excelsior District home is chock-full of articles from his many hobbies. In fact, among his friends, it's considered something of a museum. Though a more accurate description perhaps would be several museums. Along with his own artwork, which includes everything from mosaic and painting to sculpture and photography, Encheta's home is decorated from floor to ceiling with an eclectic display of curios, statues, and Masonic ephemera. And if that's not enough, there's also a full set of armor. Every morning, he wakes up and does something with art, says Encheta's wife of 56 years, Nenita, The two met at the University of Santo Tomas in the Philippines, where she was studying nursing, and he was working on a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Advertising. When the family immigrated to the US in the late 1960s, they landed in San Francisco, where Ancheta worked as a lithographer, layout artist, and film assembler for a number of print agencies. Over the years, Ancheta, now 78, crafted designs for a wide range of projects, from the San Francisco Yellow Pages to sports memorabilia and ads for AT&T and the San Francisco Symphony. Many of his favorite print samples were kept around the house, which was lucky for his son Ronnie, who had practically unlimited access to comic books and sports cards growing up. Boxes and boxes I gave to my son, Anchetta says. Brett Favre, Joe Montana, Captain Marvel, Superman, Iron Man, there's so many. Ancheta's daughter, Queenie, a former member of Job's Daughters International, recalls her father often bringing his work home with him. I remember a big light in our kitchen where he retouched photographs, she says. Before the proliferation of digital design software, Anchetta relied on pencils, paper, and a steady hand. He could get a piece of hair and just split it right down the middle with a blade, she says. Chetta's life's work also included medals and pins collected over a quarter century in masonry. Since he was initiated into Crocker No. 212 in 1994, Anchetta has held every Lodge office there and at Mission No. 169. In 2004, he received the Hiram Award from Crocker for service to the Lodge. He is probably the most dedicated Mason I know, says Mission No. 169 Secretary Richard Downing, who met Enchetta more than a decade ago. He is always there to help whenever you need anything. I'm amazed at just how many things he does. Outside of Blue Lodge, Enchetta has also received the 33rd degree from the San Francisco Scottish Rite, where he is Senior Warden in the Lodge of Perfection. In the York Rite, he has presided over all three bodies as eminent commander at the California Knights Templar, illustrious master of the cryptic Masons, and excellent high priest of the Royal Arch. He's also a lifetime member of the Royal Order of Scotland and a member of the Isaiah Shriners. Beyond that, he's a Eucharistic minister at St. John the Evangelist Church and a highly decorated member of the Knights of Columbus and of the International Order of Oddfellows, among an almost countless litany of other memberships. Semi-retirement hasn't slowed him down either. "'Oh my God, I can't even keep up with him,' Queenie says." Something I admire about my dad is that he always has a heart for those who don't have as much, and he'll always use his time to help others. Heritage Movement How Freemasonry Helped a Second-Generation Filipino-American Discover His Roots by Justin Japatana Today, James Rualo is the go-to guy in Southern California for Filipino-themed Masonic regalia. His custom aprons and gauntlets, emblazoned with the eight-rayed golden star of the national flag, are the pride of not only his lodge, Coronado No. 441, but many of his neighbors as well. They can be seen in master's portraits and lined up on lodge officers during all manner of ceremonies and celebrations. But for Rualo, that close connection to his heritage hasn't always come naturally. Rather, he says, it's been a years-long journey, and one reinforced by his journey through Freemasonry. In fact, Rualo was rarely exposed to Filipino culture growing up, he says, Born in San Diego to a Navy father and a nurse mother, both of whom immigrated to the United States as adults, Rualo lived as a child in a primarily white neighborhood. Without access to Filipino social groups and extended family, he felt at a distance from his family roots. At home, they spoke English. They never visited grandparents in Manila. You don't really think about it as a kid, being estranged from your heritage, he says. You're only taught in school that the Philippines was colonized by the Spanish, and that's your only window into Filipino history. It's a common phenomenon for the children of immigrants. As the ties to their homeland weaken, they have to learn the language and customs of their culture secondhand, if at all. In college, Rollo was steered toward a Filipino history class where he was exposed to the independence figures Jose Rizal and Andre Bonifacio, both Freemasons. The class struck a chord with Rollo, who immersed himself in the subject. But what he yearned for wasn't just knowledge, but connection. So in 2011, he followed in the footsteps of his father, Philippe, and petitioned to join Coronado No. 441. Philippe became a member in 1989. By 2013, he joined the officer line, and in 2017, served as Lodge Master. He also joined a special Grand Lodge Committee on membership development. It felt like family, Ruala says, to be with people who shared the same rich culture as me. It was enlightening. It felt like home. At Coronado No. 441, Ruala was able to experience Pinoy culture firsthand. Freemasonry and Filipino culture both emphasize fellowship, he says. Lodge dinners and potlucks there feature piles and piles of homemade Filipino dishes, folk dancing and music. The Lodge also participates in Masonic cultural events like the MGM Weekend and Masonathon, a degree conferral hosted jointly with Prince Hall Masons and other domestic Grand Lodges. There he performed the first degree with a team of other Filipino Americans to a crowd of onlookers. I don't know how many Masons have seen an authentic Filipino barong, let alone witnessed a degree conducted by Masons dressed in them. But in that moment, I was really proud to share that part of my heritage, he says. Coronado Lodge wasn't his only connection to Filipino-flavored Masonry. Frequently, he says, his district's lodges, many of which have large Filipino contingents, come together to hold joint degree conferrals. In 2019, he affiliated with East San Diego No. 561, where he's now a Lodge chaplain. Although we have different career backgrounds, speak different languages, and are separated by age, when we come together to confer a degree, we are really on the level, he says. A commercial graphic designer, Rallo leaned on those connections to give him the confidence to launch his side business creating Filipino-themed Masonic aprons and regalia. Seeing them in action during meetings, contributing to both his cultural and fraternal passions, has been deeply satisfying, he says. As an artist, when you introduce something new, it can be met with skepticism, he says but to see seasoned and respected members wear my products really affirmed my path, both professional and Masonic. Portal to the Past, an obscure Masonic temple and the long, complex legacy of Filipino Freemasonry in California, by Gary Kamiak. To walk through San Francisco's tiny South Park today is to visit one of the city's toniest neighborhoods with gleaming modernist jewel boxes fit between beautifully restored 19th century walk-ups. In a sense, it harkens back to the park's origins. Hidden away off bustling 3rd Street, a block and a half from the Embarcadero, this unexpected little green oval began its life in 1854 as an exclusive residential enclave modeled after aristocratic British parks like Berkeley Square. However, Hiding within the glittering oasis of 21st century wealth, the venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins, one of Silicon Valley's most influential funds, headquartered there, is a reminder of an altogether different past. In a nondescript three-story rooming house on the northwest side of the park sits the Gran Oriente Filipino Hotel. Across the park, a conspicuously modest Masonic temple hides in plain sight. For decades, though, the Gran Orient played a vital role in Filipino life in San Francisco birthing the first and most important Filipino Masonic Lodge in the United States. Today, the Grand Orient buildings register more as historical curiosities than as bustling neighborhood fixtures. But for more than 80 years, the hotel and later the Masonic Temple were centers of the Filipino-American community, important anchors of city life for those far from home. The story began 100 years ago, when in 1921, a group of 40 Filipino merchant marines formed a San Francisco chapter of the Grand Orient Filipino, a Masonic organization whose Grand Lodge was headquartered in Manila. The founding members of the San Francisco group were part of the great wave of Filipino immigration to the mainland that began in the wake of the Spanish-American War. Like other Asian immigrants, Filipinos were subjected to tremendous racial discrimination in the United States, forced to live in ghettos near Chinatown or in other undesirable enclaves. Most Filipinos in San Francisco were grouped in what came to be known as Manila Town a small neighborhood near Portsmouth Square, practically in the shadow of today's Trans-American pyramid. Others were allowed to live in the South Park, the formerly glitzy quarter that had fallen into squalor and which was by then home to a small Japantown. In their heyday in the 1920s and 1930s, these Filipino neighborhoods were home to some 30,000 immigrants living temporarily in more than 40 residential hotels. Restricted to low-paying jobs, regardless of their training or education, Most Filipinos worked seasonally in the fields of the Central Valley, in canneries, or as dishwashers, domestic servants, busboys, or janitors. Others joined the Merchant Marine or the Navy, the latter being one of the few career options that offered a pathway to citizenship. Because of restrictive immigration laws, the vast majority of early Filipino immigrants were single men. Living without their families and cut off from social networks, many joined fraternal organizations in search of support and to preserve their culture. One of the earliest and most important of these was Grand Orient Filipino. A Link to Home It's no surprise that masonry was the catalyst for such groups. Thanks to its association with the heroes of the Philippine fight for independence, Freemasonry enjoyed a proud reputation among many Filipino immigrants. In the U.S., Filipino immigrants flocked to several Masonic and Quasi-Masonic lodges, including the Grand Orient. The largest of these was the Caballeros de De Dimasalang, not strictly speaking a Masonic body, but one that borrowed many of its symbols and regalia. Among the other fraternal groups was the Grand Lodge of the Philippine Archipelago, a short-lived Masonic jurisdiction with lodges in Berkeley, Oakland, San Pedro, San Diego, and Hawaii, which dissolved in the 1930s. The other great Filipino Masonic organization was the labor-focused Legionarios del Trabajo, which in 1937 approached the Grand Lodge of California to request official Masonic recognition. It was denied. At their peak, these groups included more than 3,000 members. The Grand Orient Filipino, which more closely resembled California Blue Lodge Masonry, grew to include some 20 subordinate lodges in Los Angeles, Stockton, and in other states. However, because it traced its lineage to a Grand Lodge other than the Grand Lodge of the Philippines that was officially recognized by the Grand Lodge of California, it was not formally recognized here. Despite that, a committee reported in the 1936 California Grand Lodge Proceedings that this body is doing purely Masonic work with its membership devoted to Masonry. The Grand Orient held its earliest meetings on Powell Street, a few blocks from Town. In 1935, it moved south of Market and began leasing the three-story rooming house at 104-106 South Park, formerly the site of the Japanese-run Omiya Hotel, where at least three Grand Orient Filipino lodges would go on to hold meetings including Jose Rizal Lodge Number no. 12, Sinecuen Lodge Number no. 6, and Biak Nabato Number no. 14. The Grand Orient leased out the building's 24 single occupancy rooms, which had no kitchens and no communal bathrooms, at low rates to lodge members and Filipino workers. Because it allowed transient workers to retain their rooms while working in the fields or at sea, to store their belongings, and to keep their money with hotel managers, residential hotels like the Grand Orient played a vital role in sustaining the Filipino community in San Francisco. In 1948, at the height of the Grand Orient's membership, it purchased the building at 104-106 South Park. Three years later, it constructed a new Masonic temple across the park on what is now known as Jack London Alley. The Moorish-style hall, with the words, Dedicated to the Supreme Architect of the Universe, inscribed above the entrance, still exists today as the meeting site for Rasal No. 12. The lodge room is on the second floor, with offices and a dining hall on the first floor. Years later, the group purchased an apartment block next door. Together, the properties provided not just low-cost housing and lodge meeting space to recent arrivals, but also social and educational activities. As with other Masonic lodges, the Grand Orient required members be recommended by another member, believe in a supreme architect, and maintain an upstanding character. The members were practicing the tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth, a former member was quoted in Voices of Filipino-American Oral History. Our duty is to help one another, not just members of the Order, but other Filipinos and other races who need help. A new beginning For decades, the Grand Orient Filipino did just that. Anthony Enteron, the current Grand Secretary of Grand Orient Filipino, and a member of Risal No. 12, recalls that in the 1940s, the Lodge purchased a property in Morgan Hill that included a clubhouse, a swimming pool, and tennis courts that was supposed to serve as a retirement home for members. Morgan Hill was a major asset to the Grand Orient Filipino, Anteron says. Tragically though, the property was destroyed by a storm during the 1960s and soon sold off. Around the same time, the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, which ended national quotas, and the Fair Housing Act of 1968, changed Filipino immigration patterns dramatically. Filipinos moved out of Manila Town and South Park and into places like Daly City, still the densest Filipino ethnic enclave in the United States. The infamous 1977 eviction of Filipino tenants of the International Hotel was the last gasp of old Manila Town in San Francisco. Meanwhile, Filipinos began entering California Blue Lodges in greater numbers by the 1960s and 1970s. That was the beginning of the end for the Grand Orient. In the 1990s, as South Park was transforming into a techie magnet, the fraternity was in a deep decline. Today, Rizal No. 12 is the only Grand Orient lodge left in California. There's another in Seattle, and counts only about a dozen members on its rolls. So in 2018, after having been approached many times over the years by private developers, the lodge finally elected to sell the old hotel building. Wanting to preserve its historic link to the Filipino community, the lodge was connected to the affordable housing nonprofit Mission Housing Development Corporation, which purchased the hotel for four point five million along with two other former SROs in South Park. The Lodge still owns the Temple and Apartment Complex. With the aid of city funds, the Grand Orient Hotel will be completely renovated and used to house formerly homeless and very low-income residents. Sam Moss, Executive Director of MHDC, says that when the Grand Orient reopens in late 2021, priority will be given to neighborhood residents and Filipinos, many of whom still live south of Market Street. For a century, the Grand Orient played an outsized role in Filipino affairs. That connection has been worn away by time and change, but its continued presence, even in diminished form, is almost unbelievable today and inspiring. The timeless values behind it, belief in helping the less fortunate, and in providing a sense of community will live on in South Park. At Bay Nagorong Mason, also known as MGM, a Filipino-inspired degree conferral becomes a can not miss event. A Traveling Brotherhood by Lindsay J. Smith, As Oliver Napalon prepared to be raised to the degree of Master Mason in October 2019, he was sweating buckets, and rightly so. While he'd felt a few nerves in advance of receiving each of the first two degrees of Masonry, he knew this time would be different. For one thing, he wasn't in the familiar environment of his home lodge, Southwest No. 283, and as the sole candidate being raised that day, he knew every set of eyes would be on him, all 300 pairs of them. Napoleon's Raising was the highlight of a unique weekend-long event called MGM, which means Traveling Master Mason in Tagalog, one of the primary languages spoken in the Philippines. The semi-annual event, which brings Masons together from across the United States and the Philippines for three days of brotherhood and a third-degree conferral, is one of the largest Masonic gatherings in California, surpassed only by the annual communication in San Francisco. For those who make the pilgrimage to MGM, as it's known, the event is a homecoming of sorts, a celebration of Pinoy flavored Masonic fellowship and brotherly love. For Napalan, it was also cause for more than a little anxiety. It was overwhelming in a good sense he says. I just wasn't expecting that many brothers to be there. Since its inception 10 years ago, MGM has grown into a massive and massively anticipated weekend, particularly among Filipino-American Masons. Yet MGM remains a decidedly grassroots affair. It isn't organized by the Grand Lodge of California It has no official membership structure bylaws or governing body each successive event is simply put on by a host lodge competition for honor can be pierced chosen by a group of past hosts charles cross the assistant grand lecturer for division six oversees some preparations for the event and helps ensure it conforms to the california masonic code the event began humbly in 2011. an aspiring candidate had asked to be raised while his father was visiting from the philippines and to invite members of various neighboring lodges as well. Ferdinand Abella, a past master of Unity No. 632, posted the invitation on Facebook, and on the degree night, 63 Master Masons from California and Nevada, mostly Filipino-American, answered the call. Afterward, those in attendance agreed that the event had been so much fun they wanted to make it into a tradition. The celebration grew quickly. Three such degree conferrals were held in 2012, an additional two in 2013, and three more in 2014. Soon after, those in attendance voted to name the event Manlalak Bay Nagorong Mason, a nod to the event's Filipino roots and to its many out-of-town guests. MGM then settled into a rhythm of being held once or twice yearly. At the same time, it grew in both complexity and scale. Today, the event includes a full weekend of festivities attended by as many as 500 Master Masons representing more than a dozen jurisdictions. It begins on a Friday with Lodge basketball and golf tournaments. There are Masonic lectures held during the weekend, plus tours and sightseeing outings for visiting Masons and their families. And of course, there's meal upon meal of Filipino delicacies like lechon, slow roasted suckling pig, as well as a Saturday night event featuring live music and then a Sunday farewell brunch. Although MGM has become more elaborate over the years, the highlight is still the degree conferral, which happens on Saturday afternoon. The Host Lodge has the honor of raising a candidate in front of the Assembled Brothers, which always makes a deep impression on attendees. Ed Caballero, Master of General Douglas MacArthur Lodge No. 853 in Sacramento, which will host the event this year, pandemic willing, recalls one MGM where he ran into the degree candidate right after the ceremony. I didn't know him personally, Caballero recalls, but he saw me and hugged me and cried. He said, thank you for being there to witness my raising. One of Cross's responsibilities is making sure that MGM's degree conferral follows the procedure set out by the California Masonic Code. But after the lodge is officially closed, other charges are often performed, including the Oklahoma charge and one written in Tagalo. Caballero believes that this exposure to different traditions helps strengthen fraternal bonds between members from sometimes faraway places. The common denominator that binds us together is our ritual, he says, so sharing the ritual validates what we stand for as Masons. That sense of camaraderie echoes the family-focused nature of many Filipino get-togethers. Two important aspects of Filipino culture, Cross explains, are bayanayhan, which he defines as a spirit of communal unity, work, and cooperation, and fiestas, or joyful celebrations. I believe that Bayanihan and Fiesta spirit is being carried out among the MGM brothers, he says. Although the majority of MGM attendees are of Filipino descent, the event is open to all Master Masons and has drawn attendees from many states and countries, including Hawaiian, Japan, Scotland. MGM has been hosted outside California only once by Genesis Lodge No. 395 in Washington in 2017. The 2020 event was scheduled to be held in the Philippines, but COVID-19 dashed those plans. Cross and others hope to bring MGM to the island nation one day soon. In the meantime, they eagerly anticipate the next event. Although the exact timing will depend on the state's reopening, Caballero and General Douglas MacArthur No. 853 are proceeding full steam ahead with the preparations. This is finally our year, Caballero says, pointing out that hosting involves a great deal of work with no monetary reward. Attendees pay a small fee to cover their food and a commemorative pin and t-shirt. Any leftover funds are donated to affiliated charities. Instead, he explains, the reward is the fulfillment and the enjoyment of knowing that we were able to serve our fellow brothers. For Napalon, the next MGM will present an opportunity to relive his own nerve-straining raising, albeit from a more comfortable perch. Tradition dictates that former MGM candidates be involved in the raising of new brothers, and Napalon is looking forward to being on the other side. Then I'll get the whole picture, he says.